And this is why people get stuck, right? Because we have, we are the same. People eat the same foods. They work out the same. They never get outside of their own little reality. And then they wonder why they don't feel good or they're stuck or whatever it is. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Who doesn't love a little chocolate, man? That's why we're going to talk about today's sponsor, Earth Echo Foods. These guys make a product called Cacao Bliss, which is guilt-free decadence made with the purest cacao on the planet. You got to be mindful when sourcing cacao. Not all chocolate is created equal. And when you're going to take down some of this bliss molecule known as cacao, you want to make sure that they're doing it right. And nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're also doing something good for your body. So that's why they use 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Because here's what's up. If you do cacao wrong, you ruin it. And then it's no fun. It might taste good, but it's not good for you. So what we want is something that's delicious, but also has health benefits. So they take this cacao and this product called Cacao Bliss And they blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend that you can drink hot or cold. You can mix it in other drinks. It's guilt-free because everything in it is really good for you. It's also paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan. So no matter what kind of diet you're on, you can roll with the cacao bliss. If you want to check it out, Here's where you get it. Go over to earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. That's earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. Your discount code is Luke15, and that gets you 15% off. So I'm really excited about this product, Cacao Bliss, brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health. Her company, Earth Echo, has been around for years. It's one of the biggest companies in the superfoods game. Uh, But don't let the bigness of that company fool you. They're still doing it right. They have a real commitment uh, to the quality of the product and are very integrous, which is why I'm happy to promote them. So again, check out your Cacao Bliss at earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. When I started this podcast in 2016, I quickly realized that without sponsors, it was going to be very difficult to keep up with the show. However, when I realized that, I made a promise to myself and to the audience that I would always maintain integrity and never promote any products that I didn't personally use or truly believe in. And I'm super stoked to announce an amazing new product today called Magnesium Breakthrough which you can find at magnesiumbreakthrough.com. Magnesium is the body's master mineral. It's so powerful, it's responsible for over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, and even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. But there's two big problems here. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, 
when in reality there are at least seven that your body needs and benefits from. Now, if you take this latter fact into consideration, it's just not logical to conclude that 99% of the population is likely deficient in two or more essential forms of magnesium. It just doesn't make sense. The good news is, is that when you do get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, pain and inflammation. It all improves and fast. That's why I'm so pumped that my buddies over at Bioptimizers, makers of the industry-leading digestive supplements, have just created Magnesium Breakthrough. Their research team recently formulated what I believe is the ultimate magnesium supplement and easily the best one I've ever seen or experienced with all seven forms of this mineral. And I've taken every magnesium on the market that I've ever heard of, straight up. I mean, I'm obsessed with magnesium, especially due to EMF, which is an entirely different conversation. Now, these guys even include trace elements of something called monoatomic magnesium, which helps make all of the other forms more bioavailable. So this is by far the most complete magnesium product ever created. And until or unless someone comes out with a better one, I highly recommend that you give this one a try. Bioptimizers calls this product Magnesium Breakthrough, and they're running a special promotion for you, the listener, right now at magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash L-U-K-E, magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash Luke. You can get an additional 10% off the normal package price with the coupon code Luke10. And here's what's up. The guys that make this product are so brazenly confident that you're going to like it that they will give all your money back if you don't. So with this one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all its forms and upgrade the performance of your entire body, including how you look and feel in every possible way. So go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke, enter the code Luke10 to save 10% off. As the world seems to be losing its goddamn mind, here we are back with another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. We will prevail. We will carry on. I'll keep pumping out these episodes as long as they'll let me. Next week, we've got Dr. Zach Bush here for an amazing episode. And today's show is no exception when it comes to inspiration, information, and next level living. Our guest is Dr. Craig Conover talking about performance medicine healing the adrenals, circadian rhythm, peptides, NAD, ketamine therapy, all kinds of crazy stuff. Make sure to get yourself into my new EMF home safety masterclass by going to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. If you are into health, and I'm guessing you are since you stumbled across this show, uh, EMF is a huge issue and it doesn't have to be hard, doesn't have to be scary. You don't have to fear the boogeyman of 5G, there are simple solutions you can apply to your life and you can find them in this five plus hour, seven modules, six bonus videos, online digital course called the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. Again, at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. Let's talk about our guest, Craig, who I guess you could say is my doctor. I've been working with him for a while remotely and uh, he's changed my life, man, which is why I've been wanting to get him on the show forever. Every time I talk to him, which is about every couple months or so, uh, he's on to something new. He's just one of those dudes. He's cutting edge. He's next level. Actually, he's probably four levels above next level. He's also the founder of Conover Wellness, and he's been practicing performance medicine for over 18 years. 
He was not satisfied with the old disease-based model of modern medicine. So he seeks to help his clients optimize their health and performance through time-tested nutrient and science-driven protocols that are the future of medicine, in my opinion. Dr. Conover is also the founder and creator of the patent-pending Fast Vitamin IV, as well as re-engineering the NAD Plus IV protocols now called Brain Refuel. In addition, Dr. Conover offers a comprehensive training program of the Conover Wellness Model to physicians across the world. So if you're a physician and you're feeling bored and stuck, uh, Dr. Conover is going to take you uh, where you want to (laughs) go. And trust me, when I say we need more doctors like Dr. Craig out there, honestly, this dude is lighting me up. I was so excited to interview him. If you are a consumer and after hearing the show, you want to check out uh, Conover Wellness's services, which I'm guessing you probably will because it's just the stuff they do is just insane, uh, frankly. You can go to conoverwellness.com slash shop. That's K-O-N-I-V-E-R wellness.com, conoverwellness.com slash shop. And uh, he was kind enough to give us a discount on those services. If you enter the code LUKE10, you're going to save 10% off all of the products. He has some very cool stuff over there, which is quite unique. Um, Not something you're going to find at your local Whole Foods, put it that way. We're on another level. All right, so here's what we talk about in this conversation. First of all, what the hell is performance medicine? The work he's been doing with my friends over at Sovereignty, you can find them at sovereignty.co slash Luke. Uh, We break down my two favorite Sovereignty products, uh, Purpose, which is great for daytime alertness and focus. I pound one of those literally every single time before I record a podcast, including this one. And then Dream, which is meant for nighttime relaxation and rest. We talk about why fermented herbs are more bioavailable than the traditional formula. So we get into the Chinese herbs and Ayurvedic herbs and whatnot, how to restore adrenals with licorice root and hydrocortisone, which I've been doing for a couple months and it's fantastic. In fact, since recording this episode with uh, Dr. Craig, which was a couple of weeks ago now, I've quit caffeine. I just like, I don't know, I'm on this licorice root and hydrocortisone and I feel like when I when I drink caffeinated coffee, I'm kind of psycho. It's just kind of a weird thing. I'm really I'm starting to become more in tune with my adrenals and my circadian rhythm. And uh, speaking of circadian, a lot of what we talk about in this episode is kind of decoding circadian sleep and wake cycles, the production of melatonin, your adrenals, cortisol, how all that stuff works. Some amazing sleep hacks like taking glycine and magnesium at bedtime. I know you think you probably already do magnesium at bedtime, but not this way. The most cutting edge protocol he's doing for brain health and nootropic effects like the uh, peptide combo. Uh, I guess you could say like a peptide cocktail he just sent me in the mail and I've been injecting the stuff into my belly fat, which um, right now, unfortunately, is quite plentiful to be honest, but uh, it's it's like a crazy dude what it's doing for my brain. It's insane. Uh, in fact, one of the peptides that we talk about is in this mix and it activates the pineal gland. And then there's another one. We talk about a bunch of peptides, but there's another one that gives men basically endless erections, sometimes to a fault. So we get into some fun stuff like that. Uh, the various ways to get NAD, like the injections or the nasal spray I'm doing in conjunction with testosterone, which is fantastic the NAD precursors on the market and why he prefers just straight NAD right through the needle or or however you get it, how NAD helps addicts get clean, 
really incredible science there. It's just so counterintuitive. Shoot an addict up with something and it gets them sober. Go figure. We talk about whether or not uh, taking hormones and glutathione uh, dysregulate your body in terms of its own natural production, the new emerging discoveries in the world of peptides, the risks of buying peptides online versus through a doctor, why and how I use oxytocin as a supplement, you know, the, uh, the love hormone, ketamine prescription spray and lozenges, and how ketamine treatments, professionally done, I'm not talking about going to a rave, can heal emotional trauma and depression. And we talk about the time I accidentally fell into a K-hole and thought I was permanently stuck in another dimension of reality or even dead. Now, obviously, I made it back because I'm here delivering to you another fascinating episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. And with that being said, let's welcome Dr. Craig Conover and please share this episode with a friend. Dr. Craig Conover, good to see you, dude. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke. Good to see you. Appreciate you inviting me here. Oh, I'm excited, man. You know, we've had quite a few really fascinating phone chats. And every time we talk on the phone, I'm always thinking, man, I should have just recorded this. This might as well have been a podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do my best to uh, summarize some of the things we've talked about before, some of the work sure. that with you in the past. And uh, also, of course, find out what's new and exciting in your world of performance medicine. So I think for people that are new to your type of uh, witch doctory um, and performance medicine in general, if you could just kind of explain what is performance medicine and what you do um, in terms of, um, you know, optimizing people versus standard allopathic or even functional medicine that's dealing Mm -hmm. with you know, causes and treating the symptoms or getting down to the root, but you seem to yep. be at another level where you're like, cool, you're well, let's get you more well. Yeah, I, I think it, it certainly it's evolved over time. And, uh, you know, I'm family medicine trained. So for me, um, coming out of medical school, I was most interested in building relationships with patients. Um, so that's first and foremost. And I think the heart of it for any doctor, probably that's where it lies. And then it's changed. You know, I, I never was really satisfied with allopathic medicine, which we'll get into about just prescribing pharmaceuticals, which, you know, I don't think people realize how new that is in terms of healing modalities. You know, we're talking about a hundred years or so compared to other modalities, which are thousands upon thousands of years old. And then I was never really comfortable with the functional medicine groups who you know focus on it's more to me like robotic medicine treating everyone kind of the same they tend to order gallons of lab work um, and then you know prescribe tons and tons and tons of supplements and that's never really was satisfying for me personally and then professionally I just didn't really see results so for me performance medicine really encapsulates not only helping people feel well, but perform well. And I think in this day and age, that's a really critical thing. Like we don't want to just live a long time. We want to be our best performing our best a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And that it's an interesting observation I've made going through, you know, my journey as someone who's really into alternative healing and health and what has recently been called biohacking, which did be a thing. You know, I think Dave Asprey came up with that term and it's apt because you're really learning the systems of your own body and having agency over what's happening rather than having to run to the doctor every time something goes wrong. But uh, I do see a correlation between 
the paradigm of allopathic medicine where something goes wrong with your body, you go to the doctor, they look at the symptoms, they give you drugs or surgery to alleviate those symptoms without addressing the root cause as to why that symptom uh, has persisted or presented itself. And then in the functional medicine space, it's a huge improvement because you're going in and you're going, I have these symptoms. And then as you said, you're then at least looking at the root cause in, in most cases with a good functional med doctor. But uh, as you said, you're also going through you know this litany of lab tests, which can be really expensive and also time consuming. And then at the end of that, essentially, rather than being prescribed pharmaceuticals, you're being prescribed you know a different dietary restrictions or lifestyle practices, or as you indicated, tons and tons of supplements. So it's like I still don't think either of those really hit the mark when it comes to. Uh, especially someone who's relatively healthy already and just wants to take it to the next level. Um, you know, yeah. you know, I've done labs a bunch of times and I think I've fixed some things through functional medicine and it's been great and I'm grateful for it, but it hasn't necessarily taken me to, you know, the upper reaches of um, capacity in terms of performance. Yeah. And I think, I think of two things. I think one, it's, you know, functional medicine is basically the same paradigm as allopathic medicine, which is take this for that. Right. And there's a huge problem with that because most people to get to the next level to heal anything, you have to go well beyond just taking this for yet for that. It's a, it's a full mindset shift. Um, and the, and the other problem is, um, you know, for most people, I think, and this has been my observation, uh, you know, I think most of us in medicine get stuck on, I have to have a diagnosis. I have to have a diagnosis. But what I find is that most people just want to feel good. Right. Like that's what's missing first is people not even being in touch with what feels good or let alone feeling great. And so my goal always is to help people feel good first. And then we can reverse engineer and figure out how to keep them there as opposed to, okay, we need to figure out this diagnosis. Okay. You have heart disease, diabetes, you're depressed, whatever it is. And we're going to work on that. And most of the time that leaves people feeling like, stuck. Like I still haven't gotten anywhere. I don't feel good. Yeah. Now my blood pressure is controlled, but what does that really mean? So right. it's a different paradigm. Right. So um, I think I want to start then with some of the things that I've found effective working with you and um, heard you talk about this. And it's just like, when you explain this biological um, system or process, I always think, oh man, that's, that's what's going on with me. Um, and that has to do with circadian rhythm and the adrenals, cortisol, melatonin, yeah. all of this stuff. As someone who um, historically throughout my life has, for whatever reason, felt like a night person, yeah. when the rest of the world is not, you know, unless you're dealing with a different time zone, people are way earlier than you or later, as the case may be. But uh, when we talked before, you sent me this uh, licorice root and uh, is it hydrocortisol? Correct. Yeah. Uh, drops. And man, if I have those when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm like not groggy, have tons of energy. I don't feel jittery like I do from being over caffeinated to compensate for that. Uh, yep. And I find that when I'm on that routine, that I naturally start to get tired at a more appropriate hour at night. Like I'm actually ready to get to bed at 10 or 11 versus 12, yes. one or even yes. two. So can you break down how that cycle works and all of those molecules in our body indicate to us what time it is and when we're supposed to be awake and alert versus groggy and tired or sleeping? Yeah. I mean, the way I think about it, and it's simplistic, but we are, we are hardwired 
for a certain cortisol rhythm. And so that certain cortisol rhythm, to keep it simplistic, is like uh, following the sun rising and setting, right? So the sun rises in the morning and that's when we wake up, that's when we want our cortisol levels, cortisol secreted by the adrenal glands to be at its highest point. And the way I think about that is if we think back to primitive times before electricity and all this artificial everything, um, that is when people um, needed to be at their highest level of performance. And so why is that? Well, we need to get up. We need to find food, right? However we did that, we need to make shelter. We need to find safety. Um, We had to do all those things as early in the day as possible because guess what? At some point that sun is going to set. And if you didn't have that taken care of, literally your life would be in danger and that causes more stress. So we need to take care of the things we need to take care of as early in the day as possible. That's in part why I think, okay, we're created with this cortisol rhythm, highest in the morning. As the day goes on, we just don't need to be operating at our highest level of efficiency because as that sun goes down, the sun sets, our cortisol drops, and now it's nighttime. Well, the nighttime is critical. Really, why is sleep critical? It's because we have to repair, mend, heal our tissues ourselves because guess what? The sun is rising the next morning. We got to do it all over again. Most of us, um, certainly probably most of us listening to, to you talk on these podcasts don't have these life or death issues, right? That we're scrambling and fighting for our lives, which is a blessing for sure. But hardwired and cortisol wise, we're still kind of wired that way. And so if we treat them that way, and I think most people can relate to that is most people would, would probably tell you they're most effective if we really distill it down, you know, concentration wise, focus wise in the morning, getting stuff done um, and leaving things of less importance to later in the day because when the day starts to end and you switch over to night, you really do need to be focused on sleep. And, you know, it's going down a different path here, but sleep, we just undervalue sleep. We just don't take it seriously because we just think we don't really need to sleep. Like we could be doing anything 24 hours a day now. And that just gets us so far out from the rhythms that are just hardwired into us. So the, the way I think about it, cortisol is catabolic, meaning wear and tear, right? It allows us to do the things we need to do, get done with them. Cortisol sets like the sun sets, we go to sleep and then the anabolic hormones start to take off. That'd be melatonin, testosterone, growth hormone. Those hormones allow us to mend, repair, heal our tissues so that we can, again, sleep our best, recover, wake up and do it all over again. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I'm wondering additionally how light plays into this, the different spectrum of light. And this might be outside of your area of expertise, but uh, you know, I've interviewed Jack Cruz a number of times. And of course, he's yep. a circadian biology and, and specifically uh, different wavelengths of light and how they signal uh, your bi- biology to start producing you know, one side of that, uh, that cascade, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I've used at different times sunrise sun gazing and sunset sun gazing uh, to get my circadian rhythm back into alignment yep. used to work really well. It takes about a week of doing that. Uh, however, that also requires <laughs> a really high degree of discipline because if you're like me and you living a busy life, living in a city, uh, it's not always practical to be up and at them at 5.30 a.m. and find yourself a vista where you can see that nice red light sunrise on the horizon. Um, so, you know... When- well. 
when I'm able to do that, I do, but I use, you know, I'll use like specifically a blue light, this thing called the Verilux when I wake up, can't get to the sun and I use my Juve red light therapy. So I'm kind of using technology in some cases to mimic those light signals. So how much does that play into it? I think for everyone has some degree of, you know, sensitivity to it. I think even though, you know, if you can't, I think still it's an important point that you bring up. You know, when people wake up, they really should get outside and get as early morning sunlight as early in the day as possible. One of the reasons is it takes melatonin about 12 hours to reset from the first, you know, kind of natural light. So if you're not getting that light till, 11 p.m. noon, I mean, 11 a.m. or noon, well, then your melatonin is not going to start to kick off until 11 p.m. or midnight. And then from there, it's going to take you an hour or so just to start to feel tired. So that alone, you know, pushes back those times. Whereas even if you're not watching the sun rise, but you're getting early morning sunlight at 8 a.m., well, then that's going to trigger 12, about 12 hours. Your melatonin will start to kick in at about 8 p.m. So by 9 p.m. or so, you'll start to feel tired. So even if I know what you mean, and there are you know great devices we can use, and even at you know nighttime, you know blue blocking uh, glasses and things, and minimize those effects on the retina into the brain. Um, I think a more simplistic view is just try your best to live with the sun, right? If if that's all you did, right? If you wanted to make one change in your routine, people just did that. They would notice after whatever period of time that they feel much more in tune with kind of the synchronicity of of the way life presents itself. What's the deal with that sense you get when you sleep in too late? You know, you think like, oh, I need eight hours sleep or nine hours sleep. I really want to crush it tomorrow. And I know personally, if if I sleep in... It's difficult to do, but if I'm able to sleep in because I'm really fatigued, say past nine or ten, I'll think, "Wow, okay, good, I got enough sleep." But if I if I pass the certain time in the morning, then I find myself super groggy, lethargic, kind of brain fog all day. Even though technically I got like more sleep, it was seemingly sleep at the wrong time. Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting subject and a point, and probably needs to be further explored. Um, but the way I think about it is we probably all of us have some individual kind of set uh, number of hours, which is our sweet spot, right? Trouble is, is if we're missing that, and probably most of us miss that because we don't sleep well, we go to bed late or whatever, we have a poor quality night's sleep, we're going to build up some sleep deficit. And so you know, it, it, I think the number eight hours came about because we thought there was four distinct sleep cycles where you go from, you know... REM sleep, which is very superficial, all the way down to delta wave sleep, deep sleep, and then work your way back up to REM. And, and each of those cycles lasts about two hours. Um, so if we have four of those, that's about eight hours. I think that's where the eight hour came out. But some people, it's six hours. Some people, it's 10 hours. Well, if you have some sleep deficit, you want to make up for it. Most people can do that on the weekend. But then we overshoot. And now instead of getting 10, now you got 12 you're off that sweet spot and you just feel a little bit totally like, I mean, I've totally experienced that a lot of times where you sleep in on the weekends, you're like, oh, I slept in, but I, I don't feel right. Like I, I want to go back to sleep, but I shouldn't. I need to be up and it's this weird limbo place. Yeah. What's the mechanism of action of that uh, hydrocortisol and licorice root um, yeah. mojo juice that you sent me? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm... Yeah. I love that stuff. When I ran out, I'm like, I just need a gallon of this. So I just have it the rest yeah. of my life. It's yeah. Effective. So um, 
cortisol, there's no like bioidentical cortisol. There's no cortisol per se. It's hydrocortisone. That's the molecule we use um, mimics cortisol in the body. So when the adrenals put out cortisol, um, it's basically the same thing. Um, and then we couple that um, with licorice root because licorice root prolongs the breakdown of cortisol to cortisone. And so having both together, what it does the way I think about it, when, when someone takes that externally, you're going to give your adrenals a break so they don't have to work as hard, right? So you're going to supply that hormone that the adrenals are putting out in the morning um, with hydrocortisone, which is the bioequivalent of cortisol. And then that licorice root helps keep it to be more active. And so when you have both on board, it's like your adrenals, they're saying, ah, thank you, they can rest. And then you still have the energy because you have the cortisol working for you. And, and generally, if people do that long enough and can hang in there, you can literally restore the adrenal function because you've allowed your adrenals to take a break. And you know, it's just, it becomes a math game a little bit because on average, we estimate that most humans put out about, most adults put out about 35 milligrams of cortisol in a day. So as long as we're staying below that 35 milligrams, we're not going to suppress the adrenal output. And so you're able to do it for a long time. And in general, it takes years for people to recover from this adrenal fatigue, for sure. And what are the markers that you would use to determine if one has clinical adrenal fatigue? I know this is a term that's thrown around a lot. A lot of people seem to think they have it. And I I never get a clear indication that it's been kind of proven that that's the case. I think people... People have ideas about drinking coffee, that they wear out your adrenals. Even someone the other day uh, commented on my Instagram and said, oh, you shouldn't do ice baths because they um, cause adrenal fatigue and things like this. I think there's a lot of confusion and misinformation around how the adrenals actually work. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think um, most people aren't don't take it seriously enough to even warrant a, a proper discussion. We just don't value it enough. Um, I value it. The way I think about it is our adrenals um, will put out cortisol anytime we perceive stress. And so that stress isn't always negative, right? So the stress could be exercise. The, st- the stress could be, like you said, a- an ice bath, right? Temperature change would be stressful. Eating the wrong foods, pain in the body, blood sugar changes, obviously emotional stress, thinking about things in the future, the past that stress us out because we perceive a negative outcome. All of those things will signal the brain to uh, part of the pituitary to put something out called ACTH, which then travels through the bloodstream and tells the adrenals, put out cortisol. In in primitive terms, and this is just the best way to describe it, even though it's extreme, um, the classic example is being chased by a lion in the jungle, right? So if you're under attack, you need to put out cortisol um, to save your life. And what that cortisol does is literally several things. One, it, te- it travels to your liver and says, make new blood sugar so you have fuel. It turns off pain receptors. So if you fall down or get injured, you can get up and keep going. Um, and it's very anti-inflammatory. So it's really a buffer in your world. Cortisol though, the way I think about it in primitive terms was a very acute hormone. So if you were under stress, real stress, life or death stress, you would put out a bunch of cortisol, save your life or not. And then that episode would end and your cortisol would come back down to normal. What's happened over time, I think we've changed cortisol into a chronic hormone. And so now we're in traffic or we have deadlines or worried about this or that. And we're signaling to our body, albeit most of the time silently, 
put out cortisol. And if we do that over and over, we kind of chip away at our ability to keep up with cortisol demands. And when we chip away, where we see it most is either in the morning cortisol, where it should be highest, or what happens is people commonly, they will you know, put the kids to bed or they're calm down at night, they eat their dinner, and now turn on a TV show, get on their phone, and now they activate like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get going in my day. And now they elevate their cortisol when it should be lowest. So in terms of how to define adrenal fatigue, get back to your question, um, there's a couple ways. You can look blood work, you can check cortisol levels, urine tests, you can check cortisol levels. I think the gold standard though is, is a saliva test where you're checking cortisol throughout the day. And you're looking for that cortisol to be highest in the morning and then come down gradually. So by the nighttime, 10, 11 PM, it's at its lowest point. I consider adrenal insufficiency or adrenal fatigue where there's a disruption in the rhythm. And a lot of times that's more important than actually the volume of cortisol. And then you work backwards to do some things to get that rhythm back. Yeah. Well, you just explained why uh, it's, 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 it has such a negative impact on sleep when one gets on emails you know, at 10 p.m., starts engaging yeah. social media. As you said, watching... Um, Watching TV that would elicit a nervous system response, you know, watching some suspense or drama or horror or something like that, I've noticed um, subjectively really had to be very disciplined about what I put my attention on as the evening wears on because I'll become really awake. And even if I fall asleep, you know, my sleep onset's pretty good. I'll find I'm waking up at three in the morning with restless legs going like, what? I was so tired. Why am I awake now? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's what you just described, right? You're stimulating the brain with even those micro stresses, just checking politics on Twitter, you know, especially now, right? What's right. The world, it really does take a lot of discipline to kind of train your behavior so that you're not sending the wrong signal at the wrong time to your brain and interrupting that rest process. Yeah. And I also think um, one of the lies we've been sold is that multitasking is what we should shoot for, right? Um, whereas no one can truly multitask. I think that's a total lie. No one can do more than one thing at a time. No one can can put their attention somewhere um, more than one thing at a, at a time, right? So monotasking is so much healthier. This is compounded to the nth degree with all the digital messaging, social media, email messaging. And we feel now compelled to react and to respond to our phones and our computers and the people around us in ways that are totally not natural. Right. And so people really struggle and they think, oh, I can do it. Right. I can get back to you, watch this, send this message, type this out all within a five minute span. But the way I think that about that, that just puts extra tension on your nervous system. And our nervous system really, at some point, can't handle it. You know, and I would argue that most of us keep up probably into, for most of us, in probably into the third decade of life where we're. We're doing okay. You know, we're flexible in how we modulate both our neurotransmitters, our nervous system, cortisol, stress. But for most people in that third decade, certainly in the fourth decade, it starts to break down. And a lot of that, if you think about it, if you're putting, if you're not focused and present in the present moment, moment, and you're starting to put attention on multiple things at the same time, and you keep doing that, you're going to put tension on that nervous system that compounds over and over. So that by the time you're ready to go to sleep, you're wide awake, right? You may be tired, but your nervous system is, feels like I'm ready to keep going. And that then compounds on itself because you don't get restorative sleep. And 
over the course of your life, you have this maladapted stress response. Your nervous system is wired when it shouldn't be. And this is where people break down and get you know big problems, big diseases, things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I'm putting the pieces together now of all the different inputs, you know, now with especially so many of us working remotely, which I've been doing, you know, for a few years, but now due to the current situation, we're being forced to work remotely even more. And also just as a business owner, many people realize having people on W-2s and dealing with real employees is uh, much more cumbersome and expensive and, you know, just has a lot more... um, you're dealing a lot more with the administrative elements of having people on your team versus hiring contractors. Um, and there's different laws, right? Which indicate if you have an employee, you can tell them where to be, what to do, when to be there, all of that. When you have a contractor, legally speaking, at least in California, you just give them tasks to do and you can't tell them where to be at what time. Right. Because they're an independent contractor rather than an employee. And that necessitates the use of all of these different uh, means of communication. You know, I'm on Slack, we're using Dropbox, we're using Trello, we're using Asana, email, texting, the, the more private texting apps like Telegram and Signal, I mean, uh, WhatsApp, right? So it's like not even including social media DMs. So your, your points of contact now. Uh, through digital communication. I mean, there's obviously benefits to that, but the points of contact are so numerous. It really is actually quite difficult to monotask and just to sit down, shut the world out, turn all notifications off and do what you're supposed to do. And this is something I'm constantly working on refining because I do sense that um, just the levels of stress that are experienced uh, responding to all of those inputs is insane. I mean, insane. Lately, I'm going, why am I so stressed out? Like I have a good life. And, and I realize it's because of that multitasking and trying to do a million things at once rather than just sitting down, turning everything off and opening up a Word document, creating that document or whatever it happens to be. you know. And I think that's really sage advice. And I've just known subjectively uh, the effects of that, but I had no idea why. So that's a really yeah. uh, critical breakdown for people. Um, one thing that I found interesting that you said earlier was... If we're using this hydrocortisone mm-hmm. um, in an effort to give our adrenals a rest, yep. um, it's counterintuitive in the sense that when oftentimes we're using, or at least this is my understanding, when we're using things exogenously that our body would normally produce, uh, that there is a risk of your body downregulating. Uh, the production of that endogenously because it's saying, oh, we don't need to make that anymore. It's already here, uh, as would be the case perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong, with something like um, chronic use of melatonin or glutathione or things that your body actually has the ability to produce. What are your thoughts on on that being a phenomenon uh, in reality or not? No, it's 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 a true reality, and so we will downregulate. Um, and all of those molecules you mentioned, I think one has to be careful. And, and um, even with cortisol and hydrocortisone, and, and uh, the analogy or the example I use is people are familiar with prednisone, for example. Prednisone is a potent steroid that we use. For example, if someone's got an asthma attack, they've got bad poison ivy, they've got skin rash, something where you need major anti-inflammation. What people don't realize is prednisone is four times as potent as cortisol. So oftentimes where this gets into play and it's a little bit complicated, but you know, children, for example, will get 
some sort of infection or inflammation. Their doctor puts them on a course of antibiotics and steroids to calm it down because why not throw the kitchen sink? You want the child to feel better. But if you do that over and over in a child who um, doesn't have a strong immune system, for example, and now you're constantly calming it down artificially, well, because you've given them, for example, prednisone, maybe even at a low dose, maybe 10 milligrams, 20 milligrams, that acts like 40 or 80 milligrams of cortisol. You've just shut down the adrenal function a little bit. And if you keep doing that, you're going to suppress that adrenal function over and over and over. So again, for this example, maybe in their 20s and 30s, they just can't respond the way they should be responding. Right. And then it compounds and it trickles down to now they don't sleep well. Now they can't get up in the morning. So they can't focus. So now they take Adderall, take a lot of stimulants. And you can see how that picture just, it's a web that can't be woven well. And so we do have to be mindful, particularly of replacement hydrocortisone. And that's why we do monitor people over time. But, but more so than that, it's just we have some guidelines for sticking with dosages. Just so in general, we don't want to suppress the adrenals because we don't want people... I mean, you could, for example, we use a good example is testosterone replacement, right? Men and women need testosterone. Men need more testosterone. As they get older, um, they require replacement, most men, because they just, we lose the ability to make testosterone. Well, taking testosterone exogenously is going to downregulate your own internal production. And so, uh, that's not as big of an issue to me because you've already weaned down the own natural production of testosterone. So you taking it exogenously, it doesn't matter so much. Cortisol though, we don't really want to wean down. We don't want you to change your, again, following that rhythm. And so we do have to be mindful. But I think to your point, any anything that people take, and it goes beyond just taking exogenous hormones, I would argue nutrient supplements, food, fitness, and thoughts will change. We adapt to those things really well. And if you, for example, if you keep the same thoughts in your head, if you exercise the same way, you render those, all of those modalities less effective for you. And this is why people get stuck, right? Because we have, we are the same. People eat the same foods. They work out the same. They never get outside of their own little reality. And then they wonder why they don't feel good or they're stuck or whatever it is. So I think it's a big point. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Let's take a moment to talk about shroomin. No, not that kind of shroomin and not those gross mushrooms that they put on your pizza. But I guess you shouldn't eat pizza anyway if you listen to the show. Uh, you know, the gluten and all that. But anyway, I'm talking about my friends over at Lifecycle. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. These guys make some liquid mushroom extracts that are absolutely insane. I recommend the Biohacking Pack. It's a five mushroom pack, which comes in an absolutely beautiful golden box and includes lion's mane for REM sleep and brain health, reishi for just chilling out and immunity, holy shiitake for radiance, hair and nail health, turkey tail for the ultimate gut health and cordyceps for massive energy when you want to get pumped shredded ripped workout all that so that's the biohacker set now for a limited time if you get this biohacker set directly from their website they're going to hook you up with a bag of cordyceps or lion's mane mushroom powder with their very unique wild harvested australian kakadu plum which is the highest source of vitamin C of all fruits, incidentally. So that's lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L for some fantastic medicinal mushrooms, extremely potent, completely free of GMOs, pesticides, 
gluten, all that weird stuff. They're even vegan friendly. I mean, I guess like, why would you put animals in mushrooms, right? Wouldn't really make sense. Despite the name turkey tail, there is no turkey in the turkey tail extract, obviously. But uh, do yourself a favor and get over to lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. Use the code STORY15 and save 15%. And now back to the interview. I think something interesting about your approach too, and we've not gone into depth with this, but we have discussed um, ketamine and psychedelic things like that, which I'm going to get to. But I get the sense that you're um, maybe in your practice as well, but just personally, you seem to be pretty tapped into emotional well-being and spiritual well-being. And um, this is often overlooked in terms of Western medicine because it's this mechanistic biological approach to fixing whatever's broken, right? And when you talk about this, uh, you know, your adrenals and how your emotional state is going to indicate to them what to do and what to put out, it brings to mind uh, something I've been researching for the past couple of years, and that's um, damage to the limbic system from emotional trauma that many of us experience in our childhoods and throughout life, whether it's an abusive parent or a car accident or, you know, some critical moment in which you experienced a high degree of stress or chronic stress, that your brain can actually get locked into this limbic system response where it's continually just dumping adrenaline and cortisol into your system, even when the threat isn't real. And so you're just kind of living in this heightened state of, as you indicated, you know, future anxiety or past regret. And there really is this um, emerging bridge between our psyche and the body and how it responds. What's your take on that as a phenomenon? No, I think it's it's something we're learning a lot more about. I think the cool part here is is connecting all these things together. So let's let's talk about that because I think it's an important point. Let's talk about ketamine because we've been using it a lot over the past several years. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg. But the way I break it down, again, it's a simplistic version, but I think it's worth noting. So we know that the majority of our personality is formed before the age of five. And that personality within us is shaped by the sensory experiences that we bring into our ourself. Um, and a lot of that then, the architecture of our nervous system is built upon um, the, the neurotransmitter glutamate to make this discussion really simplistic. Glutamate I think is the most abundant neurotransmitter in the nervous system. If you get too much glutamate, for example, people have MSG, which most people are familiar with, you just feel out of sorts. You feel like your brain is kind of almost like you had a fever, you're inflamed because we know that too much glutamate is uh, toxic to your nervous system. Why ketamine is going to play such an important role here going forward, um, and I'll break it all down for you biochemically, is ketamine is going to help people and it's helping people form new architecture in their nervous system, right? So let's take an example. Um, We know that if a child, a baby who's born, doesn't get to see their mom's face within the first 12 hours of life, that they will will need another 22 months to catch up to, to build that memory and bond. Now, 
there's redundancy here in kind of how we memorialize experiences in our life. And for all of us, there's milestones that are really important to be met. Um, and the way I think about it, that first five years in shaping the architecture of our nervous system helps to define if someone views the world as safe or not safe. And most of us actually have, as you point out, some micro trauma. It doesn't have to be abuse. It doesn't have to be terrible trauma. But we do have experiences where something has gone awry. We may not have... Uh, our parents may not have reached out to us when we wanted them to. There may not have been affection. It may not be totally traumatic in the terms of severe PTSD. But for most of us, there's something that's not totally perfect. No one has a perfect childhood by any means. And so the way that works is we experience the sensory input that we bring in. And then a lot of those memory consolidations happen through that glutamate exposure. And so when we bring glutamate across the nervous system, it's going to help to form memories. Now, sometimes those memories will be missing because we've missed out on experiences. Sometimes those memories will be bad. And then hopefully a lot of times those memories will be really positive. But in the case where they're not, we then, I think, develop a nervous system or part of our nervous system which sees the world in part is not safe. Well, that happens within the first five years of life. And that determines in many ways how your view, how your outlook is for the rest of your life. And so now when you're 25, 30, 30, whatever, you have never changed that formal architecture of your nervous system. You've always seen the world as that. That is your impression. That's how you go about the world. This is how I, I view it. So what ketamine does, tying it back in biochemically, ketamine is an NMDA receptor antagonist, which it, what that means is it can, one of the neurotransmitters it has direct control over is glutamate running across our nervous system. And why it's so important, why it's so intriguing and fascinating is when we give people ketamine, um, what we do is we slow down the influx of glutamate across that nervous system. And if you slow down glutamate, you actually get clarity of thought, clarity of mind. You start to change your perception of not only yourself, but you get insight into other experiences in your life. So if we take, for example, the severe, someone has PTSD where they've had a really traumatic event, it could be early in life or it could be later in life. And now you apply ketamine and now you can see because you literally slowed down that memory coming back to you, you see it happen in a new perspective. It allows you then to make a new memory that you can consolidate and replace the old trauma. And it doesn't mean that that trauma goes away. It means you've healed it. You've worked through it. So now, again, in a very simplistic way, you've taken something that's made you unsafe and you've replaced it in a way that's made you safe again. And doing so, you've done it in a very positive way because not only do you do that, but that slowing down of glutamate helps you form new memories, helps you reach new neural networks. So you've literally changed your brain. You've changed your own reality because you've changed the architecture of your nervous system. Wow, that's fascinating. It makes yeah. perfect sense. And I'm seeing correlations between different plant medicine and psychedelic experiences I've had. And I'm sure the mechanism of action is different, but there is, um, there is congruence in that in those experiences done consciously and intentionally, of course, I always add that in, you know, it's like, we're not talking about going to a rave and doing ketamine or, you know, right. acid and going to a concert, but in those experiences, um, subject, I have had the ability to observe different things that have transpired in my life that were in fact 
traumatic because something did happen, or in some cases, because something that is naturally meant to happen, especially earlier in life, did not in fact happen uh, in terms of just you know nurturing and care uh, of, of the young being you. And having the ability to observe and go into those what would sometimes be scary places in terms of memories that would elicit an emotional response that we would um, experience as discomfort or even pain. There is an ability to go in objectively in a zoomed out 30,000 feet and go into the nooks and crannies, even to the depth of some of those things and really root them out. And I've never known why. It's just like the mystery of these molecules, whether they're pharmaceutical or coming from plants or you know uh, something like a a cap therapy, a ketamine-assisted therapy that I've I've talked to uh, Dr. David Rabin about on this show, and was scheduled to do, in fact, myself, and then just got busy, and we haven't done it yet. But I think yeah. it's a really fascinating area of medicine, and just the breakthroughs that I've been able to have are just, I mean, after years and years of therapy and you know spiritual practices and breath work and yoga and all of the things, years and years of meditation, I've been able to pierce through some of those seemingly unsolvable emotional issues that just kept resurfacing as dysfunctional patterns in my life, relationships, work, et cetera. It's just absolutely fascinating to me. But until you just explained at least that one, I'm like, I don't know why, but it works. Um, In your practice, um, being a medical doctor, not a psychiatrist that would, you know, take someone on a ketamine journey to heal childhood trauma or something, how do you clinically use ketamine yourself to help people? I mean, it's in similar ways. I mean, what what we do, which is a little different, is we we combine it most of the time, the vast majority, with using intravenous NAD. We can talk about NAD. And so what we found is that there's a lot of synergy with doing both at the same time. So what we'll do in the office is we'll... Because we do a lot of intravenous NAD and for select people who we feel are good candidates. And by that, you know, which will be most people who we're seeing because most people we're seeing have some degree of anxiety, depression, PTSD, traumatic brain injuries on some level. Um, they've come to us because they want help with some of those issues. Um, sometimes it's severe, sometimes it's not as severe. And so NAD plays a, a foundational role for people healing a lot of their nervous system just through the, the benefits of adding more biochemical energy through ATP to the nervous system. But what we do is we'll do intravenous NAD and then we'll give them intramuscular ketamine, which is different than what most people do because most most practices are using intravenous ketamine. And what we found is we like that combo better because one, it's really, really safe. We don't really need as much you know, intense monitoring of the patient and, and it's more predictable, right? It's because we give a patient a shot of ketamine and it's going to last about 30 minutes. It's very hard to get beyond that 30-minute time frame. And that allows us to really be able to kind of package that therapy for them in a meaningful way. A lot of times with intravenous ketamine, it takes a lot longer because they have to you know, administer it slowly. Um, and we've just found over time that adding NAD with it, you get, you know, it's a more synergistic effect. So you're you're doing a lot more healing a lot faster. But the key you mentioned is the integration too, is being able to talk to people and help them integrate for what came up, right? Because um, for some people, in fact, many people who who we work with on a regular basis have told me that ketamine is, has been the most meaningful you know, experience of their life. And these are people who have had vast experience with plant medicine. Most of these people are coming back and saying, ketamine's it. Like ketamine's the magic stuff. And it, it is a magic molecule. 
I mean, it, it, I have conversations with people every week, if not every day, who have said that to me, um, how well it works, very, very safe. And again, I think from our perspective, you know, combining that with NAD and then we can talk about peptides, you're talking about three things that synergistically like heal a, a nervous system that's damaged, get it back online, and then get it to new places in a very short amount of time, which wow. is amazing. It's amazing. That's incredible. I, I find the ketamine thing so fascinating um, due to the widespread reports of its efficacy for the treatment of, let's just say, I mean, you mentioned PTSD, but let's just say clinical depression, just someone who's just been sad for a very, very long time, can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Their life could be going in one direction or the other. It doesn't really matter. The, you know, the externals and their experience are not influencing their subjective emotional sense felt of being. And in one, two, you know, maybe three ketamine assisted therapies, they're not just like alleviated of depression temporarily, like, oh, I feel better today. And then tomorrow I'm back to the same old shit. They're cured, done, like no more depression. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely incredible, especially if you consider the great lengths and the potential net risks and costs of a long-term pharmaceutical approach to something like depression and all of the inherent side effects of which I am uh, intimately familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's just like, wow, that's, that's really exciting. And it's incredible to me that that's not front page news. But then again, ketamine, I'm assuming is relatively inexpensive. And if you have a therapy that is, you know, one, two, three times and done, um, that's not a very good business model for a company manufacturing any kind of a pharmaceutical substance, right? I mean, business model, uh -huh. unethically speaking, you want someone to come back again and again and be on Zoloft the rest of their life or whatever. You have a lifetime value customer versus a ketamine journey that someone's just like, cool, I'm done. Don't need to take that anymore. Yeah, and you, and we see it because uh, you know there's now coming out soon a new ketamine nasal spray, which is S ketamine, which is an isomer of ketamine that is going to be very expensive. That went through clinical trials to say, oh, using this type of ketamine in a nasal spray, you know, help people with a variety of things, got FDA approval. That's super expensive. I mean, we've been using compounded ketamine. We put it with oxytocin in nasal spray for years, and it's not very expensive. And I would argue we're probably going to get better results just of the synergy with something like oxytocin. This is a huge problem with the pharmaceutical companies They and, and modern medicine is they come at all of us saying, you know, we don't know enough, you know, we're not qualified. And then they want to scare the hell out of, of us. If we don't do what they say, we'll never get to, you know, where we want to be. And that model just sucks and it doesn't work. And our model here, and certainly we're not the only ones is, but we want to get people who are well to be super well. And I would argue that ketamine now should be included in kind of these performance tools for optimization. Like you can use it when you're well and you have healed, you know, even a clinical depression or PTSD. But if you want the best clarity of mind, you want to be your best for focus, creativity, and doing all the things you dream of, why not give yourself this amazing tool that's super, super safe and can help accelerate that for you? And so it's just flipping that whole script upside down. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, and <laughs> I forget, I think it was Dr. Ted Achacoso. Yeah, he, yep. he to record a podcast and gave me some um, ketamine trochies and some oxytocin trochies. And at the time, I only knew ketamine as like a party drug. And I'm like, Ted, right. 
he seems to really have his act together. He does not seem like a guy who's like partying with ketamine. Uh, brilliant doctor and amazing um, being, very conscious being. And he kind of explained briefly to me um, what it was about and left it. And I started experimenting with my meditation. So I'd go in the mm-hmm. hyperbaric chamber and listen to a Joe Dispenza meditation or whatever I happened to be doing, binaural beats, this kind of thing, and had some really subtle journeys that were... Um, always beneficial and gave me clarity, as you said, about things that I wanted to work through. And if if nothing else, just dropping me kind of into that quantum space where the physical realities of life were um, able to uh, you know subside for a brief period of time and just kind of get a break from everything and step back and um, expand my vision. And then when I started working with you, I got some of the um, ketamine oxytocin spray and would periodically do the same thing. Yeah. And then I told this story, I think, when I interviewed Dr. Ted, but I think that was like 150 milligrams per spray of the ketamine spray. And I, you know, did that a few times. And it was, you know, sometimes a somewhat profound, yet as you indicated, brief journey, mm-hmm. official. And then um, and then I got the lozenges, which I think were 300 milligrams. And I looked at the bottles and said, well, you know, if I do two sprays of the 150, that's 300. So I'll do one of these lozenges. Yeah. I texted you about this, but I just want to relay the story because it was it was hilarious, actually. But I was um, laying in bed one night. My girlfriend had fallen asleep and I just had the idea. I thought, you know, I'm just feeling kind of restless. There's no way I'm going to fall asleep and you know, I'll just do a little ketamine journey and then just fall asleep afterward, which is normally what I would have done. And um, I took one of the lozenges and put on a playlist, uh, some really strange kind of electronic music. Dude, and I sunk into the strangest place of reality. And I've done, you know, considerable in the past couple of years, considerable amount of psychedelics and plant medicines intentionally and ceremonially, et cetera. But in this particular journey, I I was like under the the tranquilizer effect of the ketamine. So I probably could have moved if I really exerted my will, but it didn't seem like I could move. So in a sense, I was kind of in this paralysis which is okay. I was able to breathe into that and just kind of surrender. Uh, But then I went into this space that was extremely psychedelic. I mean, like to the point, and I'm not even exaggerating, my personality, egoic self uh, had kind of disappeared and my consciousness was observing the phenomenon of me laying in bed And there was a certain threshold that I crossed and I seriously thought that I might be permanently kind of trapped in this other dimension and unable to come back to my house and my girlfriend and my life. And it was as if this hologram of the human experience, which I personally believe it it is in its essence, uh, had all disappeared and there was no going back to it. Mm -hmm. It was like this, you know, pretty... I don't want to say terrifying, that would be an overstatement, but disconcerting experience in which I really had to surrender this earthly existence and the mm-hmm. fact that it might be gone and just allow myself to just breathe and just exist there until it was over. And I think the the strangest of the experience was compounded by the fact that I hadn't indicated to my girlfriend that I was going to take it. Oh. I've been together that long and she, you know, she she doesn't, she's a shaman. She doesn't really gravitate toward pharmaceuticals, regardless of how effective yeah. they are in the ways you've just described. She's, you know, more on the natch, uh, ceremonial, you know, traditional plant medicines, et cetera. Yeah. 
chiropractor. She's not even a big plant medicine person. So I'm laying there and I'm like, I don't want to nudge her and be like, am I still alive? Because right. freak out and like call the cops or the paramedics or something. So I just had to kind of like be there within the space myself. And it was in that moment I realized if one's going to go that deep, um, it would be well advised to do so under the care of a physician, a therapist, or to at least indicate to the people that are around, hey, I'm going into this experience. If you hear me grunting or moaning or call for you, come remind me that I'm still a body here uh, and that everything is well. Wow. It was really interesting, but the net effect of it was in that moment of surrender. um, Kind of, I've had a similar experience with 5-MeO-DMT where... It's about as close, I think, as you can get to being dead, for lack of a better term, and is very much similar in its experience in the way it's described by people who have had near-death experiences where Mm -hmm. you kind of leave this dimension and it's actually okay. And so when you come back, uh, there's less fear, just the general percolating fear of, like you said, the world's a threat. How am I going to survive? Looking for obstacles in your path and um, you know, trying to keep yourself safe. That was absolutely diminished because I thought, well, I, I basically just died and came back. So there's nothing to be afraid of on the other side, with the exception of letting go of the attachments to this earthly experience. So it was just... It was one of the most far out things that has ever happened to me in my life, and I've had a really far out life. You know, and it's a, it's a it's a crazy interesting story, but you know that's kind of the newer trend with people using ketamine is you know particularly we, when we use it in the office we use you know if we look at you know classically it's an anesthetic, so for example um, they're using a big dose and they're going to essentially anesthetize someone to turn off their consciousness right so that they can go through surgery. They won't remember it. They won't even be there. And then we're using a much lower therapeutic dose where people can have a different perspective on themselves. Well, there's another dose where you can go in between the low therapeutic dose and the turning off your consciousness to create a near-death experience. Because to your consciousness, you're, you're going to basically say you're no longer there, but you still are. Right. Right? And so that's that middle ground where people are now venturing into that space. And I think it's really, and it's a really interesting topic, especially with COVID, because um, there's this whole sense that, uh, at least from where I sit as a physician, where I I read and we're, we're talking about how people are so afraid to die. And like, oh, it's not fair that I died from COVID. It's like, well, why not? Right. You're going to die of something. And, and this is just a virus, a simple virus. And it's our fear of that death in many ways, which is driving this ridiculous pandemic, I think, is that core issue that we are so afraid to die that, you know, it's a famous quote that we don't even know how to live. But that's really, I think, at the heart of a lot of this is that, that fear. And so for people looking to work on exploring that, this is a really interesting tool that can be used safely, clinically, as you said, in the right setting, with the right support, with the right integration. Because once you can have an experience like that and understand like, it's okay, like I can embrace, not that I'm looking forward to, but it's okay with me. It does change your day-to-day operations and how you present yourself to the world, for sure. It certainly does. It's that ability that one can cultivate to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Yep. 
you're going through the hump. Oh, I got to do the emails. I have a career. I have a family, and and you value that. You honor that. You know, you're there here on the earth, boots on the ground, doing your your dharma. But at the same time, like when the tax bill comes, or the divorce comes, or the dog gets sick, or whatever, uh, the house burns down. There is this sense of. Um, of how do I say it? It's like you're able to keep a sense of humor about the whole thing, knowing that this reality isn't the whole reality. It's a right, right, right. right? but it's not. Yep. There's a threshold of reality that's far beyond our immediate physical material experience. And I think when one can safely and intentionally explore the further dimensions of our reality, then when you do come back here, it's kind of like, all right, I'm I'm a little irritable today. I'm stressed out because this thing's happening or that thing's happening. But you're still able to not take it entirely too serious, which is a real gift, okay. including you know the masks and all the oppression and the loss of employment and loss of sanity and sovereignty that we're experiencing in the world now over something that, in my opinion, is has very low risk of hurting anyone. Um, you know, in terms of the numbers that we're now seeing. Sure. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. I've done shows on it um, ad infinitum and probably will. But uh, I really see a lot of value in in that experience for that reason is that when you do come back, like you said, it's like, all right, I don't have to be in so much fear of like my physical safety because you understand that you are much more than your physical body. And as you said, facing death is probably psychologically the healthiest thing we can do on a regular basis of just understanding like, yep, a few more years, I'm leaving this body. Might as well accept it. I totally agree. And then it also, I think, brings to light what, you know, as I see, people take, for better or for worse, a lot of this work so seriously. Like a lot of the plant medicine work, a lot of the psychedelic work, people go into it like it's always got to be so heavy and deep and I've got to unpack all this. <laughs> In reality, it's like, just enjoy it. Like we, you know, just enjoy it and keep it light because the more serious you, you make it, the more serious it becomes. And I think then people have this change perspective. Like I got to do all this heavy lifting where, yeah, you want to do some heavy lifting every now and then for sure. But for most of it, keep it light and fun and, and jovial. Absolutely. When you're uh, taking people through the, the ketamine treatments, are they uh, blindfolded and listening? Yep. Some music and, and this kind yep. of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so we do it for, for the most part. We do have some couples who do it together on a regular basis. Um, but for most part, they're going to be in an individual room by themselves. And then um, we're going to blindfold them. We're going to play certain music. We give them the shot. And then some people who qualify and who do well, um, sometimes we will um, give them a second shot. Um, we will allow them to, um, we don't want them to come back all the way per se. So at about the 20 minute mark, we may come in and give them a second shot. This will be negotiated well beforehand so they know. And for those people that go even deeper, um, it allows them just to have a more you know, intense experience for lack of a better term. But we're checking on them all the time. They're not really aware, but we're checking on them. Um, and then as they come to and you know start to move around, then we're there with them, talking to them, um, helping them integrate um, what just happened. Um, and it's interesting because the people who have some experience in the arenas of plant medicine, um, you know, because they say, you know, by the book, ketamine is very sterile, it's not spiritual. Um, that doesn't, that's not true, I don't think. I think that for people who have a context of exploring these other realms, ketamine can be just as spiritual as any, any plant medicine. 
for sure. And I've heard that time and time again. And so it's it's really a for a lot of people, it's the most profound experience they've had. And it just is tremendously impactful. Um, and then especially then helping them understand, okay, here's what happened. Here's how we can explore it. Here's how you can work on it. And then most importantly, here's how you bring it back to your everyday human existence to make yourself a better person so that you can serve others in the capacity you want to. Right. I think that's the important thing about these type of explorations, right? Is, is what you're able to bring back and actually apply in your life. Sure. Otherwise, you're just seeing trippy colors and patterns, and it's a little bit of an escape for uh, you know however long that particular medicine lasts. But um, the real magic is in entering, for me at least, entering that quantum field where there is no time and right. space, and your consciousness is in there, and you can actually explore and work on things and and create, and as you said, even have some fun in there, and then come back and put it to use and manifest that here in this reality. I think that's where the future really lies in these type of explorations is not just having a brief experience and going about your life, but having them fundamentally change you and how you interact with your world thereafter, which has absolutely been my experience almost every single time I've done something like this. Could you explain the, um, the mechanism of action of oxytocin as it pertains to the ketamine theory and then how you use oxytocin for you know other optimization purposes yeah i mean oxytocin people are familiar with it as the social bonding love hormone um which it is um but it's it's you know there's so much work and research being done with oxytocin because it allows someone in that very real way to feel safe so it pairs really well with with ketamine um where someone's going to have a you know a change in consciousness, a change in how they perceive themselves, the world around them. Um, oxytocin to me provides a safe landing, provides some comfort, provides like a big hug to that experience. Um, and so, you know, we we generalize and say women kind of have more oxytocin present in their world, and men tend to use a little bit of a boost um, in getting to that same place. And so it just pairs really well. Um, we also <clears throat> can use oxytocin in combination. We have a nasal spray where we use it with NAD and again, other ones with testosterone. And again, it's just a safe landing. And um, I had a patient, this was a couple of years ago, we do a lot of intravenous NAD and he he's just so busy, couldn't get in. So we started him on a NAD testosterone oxytocin nasal spray. And he came back after about four weeks and he's like, I got to tell you, you know, like uh, now I'm off my Adderall. He says, I don't have daily headaches. And the relationship with my wife is at an all-time high. Like we are just so affectionate. We've, we're much more just intimate with each other and how we see each other. Well, a lot of that's oxytocin. Like how awesome is that? Because that's the real, you know, relationship, especially with your partners, really where a lot of of us get meaning in our life and being able to kind of cross over some thresholds there with just that molecule is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I I love that stuff. You know, I've experimented with it, uh, with the sprays or I forget if I got the lozenges or sprays from you, but in any case, um, I've tested it in moments where I hit a fight or flight situation because I'm just freaking out about whatever I happen to freak out about in that moment. Like I'm super triggered and I think, let me see if this works. And I do a couple of the sprays and I'll be damned if you're like pissed off or triggered in about 10 minutes, you'll have totally forgotten about whatever you were pissed about. And it just like, 
immediately resets you. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I you know obviously recommend that people deal with their underlying issues and not just put a bandaid of oxytocin up your nose, but it is pretty effective in easing the tension. And I have used it even in um, in one case when the tension involved a partner. And there needed to be a fairly um, triggering conversation that took place. And we both did some of that. And just like the resolution came so easily because right. our nervous systems are able to just kind of relax and feel safe so that we could, you know, in an emotionally healthy way, communicate what our individual experiences were and be there to support one another in a way that would not be possible when we're both in that triggered place. Yeah, no, that's a good description. I, I think, again, it's one of these molecules that helps people feel more safe. And in a world where there's a lot of chaos, especially nowadays, anything you can do to make someone feel more safe is going to be welcome for sure. In terms of the downregulation phenomenon, do you think because the typical dose one would take um, of oxytocin exogenously, I'm assuming it's much, much less than your body would produce in a hug or an orgasm or in kissing or in breastfeeding or these other you know human behaviors in which oxytocin is naturally produced. It seems to me that the downregulation wouldn't be as much of an issue. Is that? I agree. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I think that um, you know we've had people using particularly the ketamine oxytocin nasal spray for a couple of years, and it's not like there's any fall off or change or anything like that. I mean, very, very, very safe, you know, super safe. And there's just a plethora of research in in how we can utilize oxytocin, the benefits of oxytocin alone, and then, you know, combining it with other molecules. So I don't really worry about like other hormones. Oh, we're going to overdo it. I just don't get that sense that you're going to challenge that with uh, exogenous oxytocin use. Uh Uh-uh. Okay, awesome. Um, recently, you started consulting uh, for this brand, Sovereignty, Sovereignty.co. And yep. they make a couple of products that I really like. I mean, as you can imagine, I get a lot of stuff in the mail, which yes. I'm grateful for because I'm a guinea pig and I just want to try everything and find something that works. But these two particular products um, that that company makes, they're, you know, as you know, but for those listening that don't, they're powders that come in a little pouch. Uh, one's called Purpose and one's called Dream. And uh, I found them to be really effective and I wanted to see what your take on on them is and something specifically that I thought was unique about them. As I understand it, they have uh, like a fermentation process that's going on with these herbs. And I wanted to kind of find out what those two products are about and what the fermentation process does that makes them different than something else that would have, you know, whatever ashwagandha or any kind of traditional herb that's used to calm down or get energy or whatever? Yeah, I think there's a couple key differences. uh, Number one, just broadly, I think as powders, um, you know, I, I like them because in order to consume a powder, you have to do some work to get into your system, right? And so we talked about the beginning of one of the troubles, I think, is that when people just swallow capsules, is there's this you know, you just don't have the sense of what you're doing, especially it's very aimless, especially with pharmaceuticals, but even with nutraceuticals, right? People take all these nutrients and supplements and be like, I don't feel any of it. And I think of, I related to, you know, using a powder like this to like making tea, like you can put some ceremony to it, even if it's three minutes, right? It's at least pausing yourself in your day to be conscious and mindful of, okay, I'm going to take this powder. I'm going to mix it with whatever I want water. I'm going to stir it a bit. I'm going to sip some of it. I'm going to slow down for a second. And so just that, putting the brakes on how you get it into your body 
is is fascinating to me and I think really beneficial. Number two, you know, when they set out to make these products, they were really focused on you know CBD, CBG, CBN. You know, working with the very best um, CBD extracts so that it's the highest, highest quality and potency, and they've achieved that. Um, and then to your point about combining it with other botanical herbs and nutrients in very unique ways. You know, um, and so you know, purpose is for the morning, and dream is for the evening. Um, I like you. I find them to be really impactful in in just your kind of daily, weekly routines. I don't use them every day. I try not to use anything every day. Um, consistently change it up. Um, but I, I find that you know, using dream at night, um, I like the kind of sweet sleep quality. I think purpose in the morning is a nice little. You know, burst. Some of that's from the CBG, which tends to have a euphoric component, and then fermenting anything seems to be a healthy way to render it more potent. You know, I think of that with any sort of fermented product, we kind of distill it down so we're getting the very best extracts. Um, so I think it's unique on several levels. I think it's, I think, and then I like how they're going about kind of bringing it to the world and the society at large. You know, it's a husband and wife. Um, they just she just had a baby, and they basically have taken a, a big RV and they're traveling around the country and organically growing, you know, support by going from city to city and meeting people, meeting doctors, um, showcasing it, which is very different, right? It's very relationship driven, very organically driven. And some of these big companies come in and just blast you with emails and say, "Buy our product." This feels <laughs> right, like that's everyone. They're doing it very differently, and I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, something that I think drew me to those particular products was uh, what you indicated that I really don't like. I mean, I'm someone that takes a lot of supplements and stuff because I'm always experimenting, but I don't like taking capsules yep. for different reasons. Um, the main ones being, I, I really trust the body's innate intelligence. And so what I'll do basically is I just end up undoing all capsules and just making drinks out of them anyway. So yeah. Just contact companies and be like, hey, can you just send me like, you know, a kilo of this powder so I can just take a teaspoon of it instead of emptying five capsules into my blender or whatever? But um, there's something about the body. I don't know. It's like a fairness to the body to give it an indication of what's going in. And mm-hmm. so just getting that mouthfeel and the bitterness or the sweetness or whatever, you know, the astringents, whatever there is in those particular herbs or compounds to kind of let your body know, hey, this is what's about to go into the GI tract. Yes. Get ready for it. You know, in just terms of the enzymatic response that your body's going to have to anything, it's always felt a little bit weird to just pound down 15 capsules of something and then inside you they start to, you know, come undone, that gelatin melts or whatever, and poof, there's right. like this explosion of a bunch of pills inside you, which I'm right. sure, you know, isn't bad for you per se, but I, I do like just the ritual element of taking something that goes down slowly and your body's like, oh, we know what to do with this. There's just an introductory process there, I think, when you're taking something in the form of a tea versus pounding a bunch of pills. So that's one thing that kind of drew me to that too. Yeah. And I think if you look historically, um, you know, what have cultures done with botanical herbs over thousands of years is they would taste them, right? That's how they would first get a sense to your point. And um, we don't do that anymore, right? We just swallow things because we, we, our mind is we have six other things we got to be doing. So why pay attention to the things we're putting in our body? Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I want to back up to the sleep topic a little bit because, you know, we, 
went all around that and the, you know, the adrenal issue and circadian issues and things like that. Um, what are some other supplements or medicines or anything like that that can be used to compound sleep? I think I've heard you talk about say, taking glycine and everyone knows about magnesium at bedtime, but do you have other protocols you've used with, you know, say in addition to this product called Dream, where you can just really nail those sleep cycles for people? I think there's a couple products are, are my go-to. As you mentioned, glycine. Glycine is the smallest amino acid. It's great for phase two liver detox. But what's the best part about it is it's very calming to the nervous system. And so most people don't take enough. Like they'll take 500 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams. You can one can take a lot of glycine, and in general, if one takes a lot, you know, anywhere from five to ten grams at bedtime, you're gonna you're not gonna shut your nervous system down by any means, but you're gonna slow it down, and slowing it down allows people to kind of get to that more restful, deep sleep, and then when they wake up, so you're you're almost pushing that nervous system. Most of us are in a state of sympathetic dominance, sympathetic meaning foot on the gas, right? We're always doing stuff. Whereas the parasympathetic side is is where we're just being and we're more relaxed. Most of us struggle um, from going from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And so glycine in a very real way, when you take enough of it, really helps push you or coax you into that parasympathetic space, um, which is awesome because then you can relax um, and then you can hopefully sleep, you know, have deep sleep. I, again, I don't like people taking the same stuff all the time because then you you know render it less potent. So we'll couple that. Um, I like glycine. I like theanine as well. Theanine comes is an amino acid too, and found in like green tea, black tea. It's calming too. Helps promote alpha wave function of the brain, which is our kind of relaxed state. And again, most people don't take enough theanine, so you can take. 300 milligrams, you could take 1,000 milligrams, you could take 3,000 milligrams. There's really no upper limit per se. Um, combining the two, theanine and glycine works really well. We now make an oral spray where it's theanine and glycine. So you can spray it in your mouth if you wake up in the middle of the night. So that way it's absorbed through the cheeks, under the tongue, kind of then just puts you back to sleep pretty quickly. You know, I, I find a lot of people can fall asleep okay, but then they wake up at two in the morning, three in the morning, and that's where they struggle and they just can't get back to sleep. Their mind starts turning on. Oh my goodness, I can't sleep. They get anxious. They can't sleep. So this is, yeah. Yeah. And so this is just one tool to kind of get that off their mind, just put them back into the sleep space. Um, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we use a variety of injectable peptides. It's a little bit more aggressive, um, but not really. Um, so we use things like epitalin and kind of smaller doses or micro doses. Epitalin is another uh, peptide that historically has been used to uh, for longevity, but it really helps to uh, structure their circadian rhythm as well. So if you use it at bedtime, you're going to help to keep the cortisol flow um, as best as you can. And you couple that with something like penelon. Penelon is another um, peptide that works on the pineal gland, which the pineal gland releases melatonin among other things. And so those two coupled together, you're going to help kind of direct the flow of your circadian rhythm. So it's not just, oh, a volume thing, like I want to put out more melatonin or I want to control cortisol. It's directing when you want things to come out. Is there any research for that? What's it called? Pinealon? Yeah, pinealon or pinealon. Yeah. Is there any research that would indicate that that has any mechanism of action on the calcification of the pineal gland? Probably. I have a, a doctor colleague who, and we do a lot of trainings with different practices and help them get going all the tools we use. Um, 
And this is a couple of years ago, we trained them. They're out in Denver. And I don't know, a year ago or so, he he mentioned, he, he said, hey, I got to get you on the phone. I got to tell you the story. So they're giving pineal on to a patient and the patient messed up. Instead of doing the prescribed dose, they, she used the entire vial of pineal on. <laughs> and she, when she came in and told the, the doctor this. She said, the interesting thing is she started to become clairvoyant is he started having dreams where she would predict the future. And um, so that's pretty interesting, right? Like, how is that happening, right? So um, those are one of those things where trial and error that, heck no, I don't want to wait for research studies. I just want people to try and um, see what happens. Not to say that, oh, people go out, get a vial a, a of pineal on, it's going to happen because that 99% of us, that wouldn't even be possible. But I think there's something to it, right? I think there's something energetically to it. I think that you're, you know, you're going to make that specific gland or organ, you know, work more efficiently. So you can then, you know, protect against the calcification like you're alluding to, for sure. Cool. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I never knew if that was just like a new age woo-woo myth, that thing. Cause you hear this talked a lot about in spiritual circles, et cetera, um, about the fluoride in the water causing calcification of the pineal gland. And I remember in one of the first interviews I did with Jack Cruz, who's cracked open a lot of heads and looked at a lot of brains um, as a neurosurgeon, I said, is that real? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's absolute, but it's what you imagine it to be is this, um, like when you get a uh, you know, a lime scale buildup on your sink or something, that's mm. what I pictured, like a hard pineal gland. He said, it's not like that. It's more of a milky it's just this chalky, milky substance that you'll find around the pineal gland, but it still does block the electromagnetic mechanism of action that's inherent to that particular gland, which mm-hmm. relates, of course, to the production of melatonin and then the substrates of melatonin, one of which being dimethyltryptamine or DMT that your body, as you know, I'm sure, and endogenously produces. So putting all those pieces together... Um, as a spiritual seeker myself, a very committed one, I'm always interested in anything that is going to assist the pineal gland in reaching its full activation. Yeah. And so that's super interesting. Yeah. No, we'll get you some so you can play around with it because it's super, super safe. That's right? and, and actually as a, as a peptide, I believe it's the smallest um, peptide that's manufactured. It's only three amino acids. So it's super, super safe, really no side effects, certainly nothing negative. Um, And I think the sky's the limit. Anything is possible, right? As long as you believe it. Um, Back to the sleep peptides, one that I've experimented with a bit myself is the DSIP, the deep deep inducing peptide. And uh, I've noticed that it is effective, but the interesting thing about it is it seems to be effective the next day. Yeah. Last night, I was like, I really wanted good sleep last night. So I took some and I checked my aura ring score this morning. My deep sleep was about what it is average, you know, hour and a half, something like that. Um, but I bet tonight I'll get like two and a half hours of deep sleep. Yeah. And I, I, you know, again, I cycle that. I don't take it all the time. I don't like, as you said, indicated a couple of times, I don't want to take, become dependent on these things. But have you um, seen good results with that particular peptide in relation to sleep? I have. I think the caveat being that um, if one's going to use it, it's probably you probably shouldn't use it more than twice a week or so because it's going to start to change some of that sleep architecture, right? Because it's delta wave sleep inducing peptide, you're going to start to front load a lot of that deep sleep into after using it. And while that can be okay in the short term, um, what we've experienced just observationally with 
patients' feedback who you know use things like Oura rings or whatever to look is it does change how that delta or deep wave sleep and REM sleep kind of condition over the course of the night and the week. I just think you have to be mindful of that. So yeah. We kind of jumped off the the peptide uh, train here. Um, I think without giving people listening perhaps some context of, of what peptides are, maybe you could explain what they are and when they became popular in the anti-aging and optimization uh, scene like you are. Yeah. So peptides are just chains of amino acids. Um, what we're talking about are, are um, molecules that are synthesized in the lab that we use for the most part, the vast majority of them are going to be injected. So they're injected subcutaneously into the, into the area of fat, and then they kind of migrate to the bloodstream and then exert certain actions. They kind of grew up in the fitness world. A lot of these optimizations tools do, um, especially in the CrossFit world. A lot of CrossFitters, and we work with a lot of high-performance athletes, they want an extra edge, particularly with recovery. So probably the most used class of them will be the growth hormone-releasing peptides. Um, the first one, to, I don't know about the first one, but the most popular at the time was something called semorelin. And now we have a host of them from ipamorelin to GHRP6, GHRP2, testamorelin, hexorelin. And the way I think those work is um, you inject them, they're going to go up to the pituitary in the brain, bind growth hormone a little bit. So you direct and put out some growth hormone. As we get older, as we stress our bodies, um, we start to decline in growth hormone. So we don't mend as well. We don't recover as easily. We become less durable. So when you add these peptides in, you're helping to create more growth hormone in your world which is always a plus. So people become stronger, fitter, faster. Um, their recovery is awesome. And um, they just their sleep is better. Their skin turgor tend to burn some fat. So they're very, very positive. Um, but there's a host of them from, you know, another popular one is BPC-157, body protection compound, which is an anti-inflammatory molecule. There's the Russian peptides we call C-Max and Selenk, um, which help with cognition, help people recover after a stroke uh, or traumatic brain injury. Um, there's uh, mitochondrial peptides. There's immune peptides. There's a whole host and growing number of peptides. What I like about them, super, super safe. And then what we do here is we combine them in a novel way where we're creating, you know, using multiple peptides at the same time. Because one of the challenges, people don't like filling up syringes and doing three to five shots a day. Yeah. People get burned out. So we, we found a way to do it where you can pre-fill the syringes and, and get them to people. Then they don't have to think about it. Then they're giving themselves one shot and they're getting the benefits. They don't work for any, everyone. Nothing does. Um, but they're, they're really interesting. And we find that they really help to move the needle for a lot of people in very you know, real ways. Yeah, you just reminded me of my my first foray maybe a couple of years ago into peptides and trying to figure it out myself. And uh, the the site where I've ordered them is called peptidesciences.com. And from what I gather, uh, they're reputable, but still uh, there is a lot of shady stuff going on in the peptide world online. Just you could be getting ground up rice from China or something, you'd have no idea. Um, but I, I've noticed that they they have an effect, so that would indicate to me that they're real and just God hoping that they're purified and clean and safe and all of that. Um, but one thing that I found very challenging about peptides is the mathematics involved in actually mixing right. water. You know, it's like I'm researching all of these threads, mm. going deep into these like group chat things and. Oh my God, the mathematics. Wow. Just, you know, the, this many milligrams of water. And I actually, you know, once I figured each one out, the BP157 and the different ones I've used, I, I put it in my Evernote so I'd never have to figure it out again because it was that right. laborious. So 
it's cool to hear that you're actually doing the heavy lifting, not only with the safety compliance element, right. ensure that they're safe, the real thing that they say they are effective. But I love this idea of pre-mixing them. Because, um, you know, of course, I don't want to give myself five shots a day. I wouldn't be mad at it, but it's just more of like, it's the mixing part to me that was a huge pain in the ass and kind of, yes. kind of really to buying more, even though they were really effective. It's just like, oh man, I don't want to go through this again. Every time so, I try a new one, there would be a new, you know, um, like, uh, what was that movie? Was it Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> what was, no, what was the one where the kids like doing the, the math equations on the chalkboard? I know um, what you're talking about, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what's his face? Anyway, it was like that. I'm just like, ah, God, this, there has to be an easier way. Um, yeah. What's the peptide? I got this one. I think I'm, I'm out of it because it was pretty fun, but it sort of like acts as, as uh, Viagra. It was mel- P- mel- Well, there's a couple. There's PT-141 is the main one. And so that came off of a, of a peptide called melanotan. Yeah. Melan- yeah. Melanotan is the tanning peptide, but it also... Um, well, it works by stimulating um, melanocytes, stimulating hormone, MSH, which has uh, an effect on the melanocytes to turn them on, but also has a really strong immune component. So people who are really struggling with any sort of chronic immune condition can benefit from melanotan. Trouble is, is it will tan you and it tans you this kind of funky orange color. Um, but what they found with melanotan is that part of it, it, it started in rats, obviously, is, is made those rats... Um, increase their arousal. And so in both female and male rats, so it, it's it's like Viagra, although it's not vascular, it's more neurogenic. Um, for men, you know, the challenge is it can make men pretty nauseous, but they do an injection at some point later in the day, they could have an erection that lasts four to six hours. So, I mean, it can really work. You just have to be careful. Yeah, the PT-141, that's what it was. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm just being an experimenter. I, I tried that out and it was interesting. I mean, like I said, I went through a whole bottle, so I didn't hate it. But uh, it's interesting because it's very difficult to time. Right. But, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night and I think, well, I'm probably gonna get frisky with my lady at some point. So I take it and then didn't really notice anything different. Just went about my normal lovemaking routine and then wake up at the four at four in the morning with a pup tent, you know, that won't go down. It's like, wait, how, how do you get the timing right on this? Because it, it really does do that uh, in an incredible way. But there's no like, as you said, with the the circulatory based you know, pharmaceuticals, there's, you know, your face gets red. It's very uncomfortable. I've never liked right. that experience. Uh, but there's none of that with this. And I didn't feel any nausea. It was just like not that useful because the timing of it was somewhat um, unpredictable. It's very true. It's very true. And here's the thing about peptides. And I think people, to set the record straight, is these are very safe um, for people who are looking for. You know, double blind, placebo controlled, really formal clinical studies, you're probably not going to want to use peptides because that's not where it's at, right? So we're relying on anecdotal data and then small research data to support the safety and efficacy um, for, for all of these peptides, really, really safe. But there's not necessarily a hard and fast dosage for everyone because they just are not studied the same way as, say, a pharmaceutical that comes through the pipeline and awaits FDA clearance. That's not what we're talking about. We're really talking about a supplement that is different because it's injected at the end of the day. That's what makes it different. But what I tell patients is, because we have a lot of patients on peptides, and they say, well, when will I start feeling the effects? I think anything you're injecting in your body, you probably should be experiencing some 
result within a few weeks. It's not something that, oh, I need to wait three months. If you're injecting something in your body and you're not feeling it after a couple of weeks, probably not working for you. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you think that my um, concern is warranted about just randomly going online and buying yep. peptides from yes. uh, you know these sites that you know claim to be pure and verified and all this? I mean, how? Do you- yeah. No, I mean, peptide science, as you mentioned, is a great one, highly reputable, um, and that's actually one that people really can trust. They make a really high quality product for sure, um, well researched, well tested. Um, and they're probably the best. Um, some of the others, I think they could work. I just think it, it's it's some of the wild, wild west still, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah. Do you think there's any risk of uh, regulatory overreach into the world of peptides because they are effective and in some cases could essentially replace the need for certain pharmaceuticals for some people? I do. I mean, there's a there's a one pharmacy in in Kentucky which does a lot of peptide work, um, Taylor Made Pharmacy, which did get hit. Got a letter from the FDA a while back saying they couldn't compound a certain size of peptides. I think it's there, although I think it's very very small. You know, this comes up in the in the um, IV world a lot with IV nutrients that people get scared that these things are going to go away. But you know. Again, the the things, the agents we're talking about are very, very safe. And then if you look at the difference or the amount of people using pharmaceuticals compared to using this, it is so vastly different that you were just not on the radar of these big three-letter organizations, right? Because it's just, again, very, very safe. We're not causing harm. And the amount of people using one versus the other, it does not even compare. So I don't worry about that. No. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think it is a really fringe group of people that are yep. in, the, in the peptide world, as you said, the high performance athlete, athletes and people like me that just like to experiment and feel sure. them. Um, let me see. I wanted to talk about before we uh, before we wrap it up here, something that you use a lot, and that's NAD and. Uh, it's kind of coming into vogue. I mean, even here in LA, there's a place called Next Health, and you can do an NAD uh, IV there, and it's becoming a bit more um, widely known. And then the other side of that is the in the supplement end, you have the precursors that supposedly help your body uh, signal your body to produce more of its own NAD. So if you could kind of break down the NAD history, case uses, different types, including the precursors or the real deal. Yeah, so um, I'll try to keep it concise because I could talk forever about this. Um, NAD episode, I realized. Yeah, Yeah, so so NAD is a B3 vitamin derivative. So it's a chemical cousin of niacin, first studied in the 1930s or so, and actually found helpful for addiction. Um, It turns off cravings for both opiates, alcohol, and then more modern times, even things like benzos, Adderall. It's very powerful that way, very, very safe, Um, largely ignored by modern medicine until... Um, resurfaced in the 1990s where people would travel to Mexico to get intravenous NAD for some sort of addiction. In 2005, a gentleman from the States traveled to Mexico. He had a pain medicine addiction, got the NAD protocol, changed his life. And then he purchased the distribution rights for the injectable NAD for America, which he still owns. Um, and that was the, the company making it was out of South Africa. That was in 2005. He set up a clinic in Atlanta called ExecuCare where all they did was addiction. I got to know him because I've been using these nutrient IVs for a while. At some point, he came to me and said, I need some help. He's not a physician. There's a lot of people using NAD. 
And that's when we got our hands on it and started to kind of test the different protocols and see how it works. Well, around the same time, there's a plethora of research. Um, the way I explain it is um, we started uh, measuring lifespan in lower organisms like yeast by you know caloric restriction. So giving yeast uh, a less caloric diet showed that it extended their lifespan. And then they found that using the nutrient resveratrol that people are familiar with, and potent antioxidant polyphenol did the same thing, right? And th- that activated a set of genes that then extended longevity in those yeast. Well, that process was mediated through a group of enzymes called the sirtuin enzymes. At the time, there was only one, SIRT1. And that sirtuin one was an NAD-dependent enzyme. So from there, if, if you're following what I'm saying is, to extend life, we have to activate sirtuins and to activate sirtuins, we need NAD. And so what we found through a lot of you know, rigorous academic research is that people as they age have lower levels of NAD. And we get NAD from two dietary sources, niacin and tryptophan. But as we age and stress our bodies out, different genetics, things like that, we recycle or make less and less NAD. So this is where the oral NAD precursors came out, things like NR, NMN, which can work, but I think they're weak. I just don't think they compare to the direct you know, molecule of NAD. Um, and since um, we are privileged, we get to work with NAD, that's what we focus on. Not that NMN and NR don't work because they do, and there's published data that they do. But for us, NAD, and we use it intravenously, we use it sublingually, we use it intranasally, um, we use it subcutaneously, but primarily intravenously. And we're, we probably have overseen more you know, NAD treatments than anywhere else in the country, potentially the world. It's really, we're really invested in it because we've seen, not that it just helps people feel better. I mean, it's transformational. It's literally transforming people's lives from where they are to where they want to go, whether that's someone with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, or someone who's well, who just wants to be performing at their best. It is, you know, we call it the anti-cancer molecule, anti-aging, anti-diabetes. It's all of that and more. And so there's still a lot to learn about NAD. But I, but I tell people, any, anyone who's interested in optimizing their health and performance needs to consider NAD in some shape or form. You need to touch it somehow. It's that good. And it's his... Yeah, I, I agree. I love it. Anytime I've had the IVs, I mean, it's, it's not the most comfortable experience. Right, not that bad for me, honestly. Um, I just kind of breathe through it, but I know some people get really cramped and stuff. But it's not, you know, I wouldn't want to do it every day. Nope. But, uh, when I've done it um, over at Next Health, as I said, they've, you know, given me a little bit of the history and how it's been treated, uh, used to treat addiction, as you indicated. What would be the mechanism of action to turn off cravings A and B? If someone had a really acute physical addiction, say to pharmaceutical opiates or you know some derivative street drug opiates, whatever, uh, would that be something that would be administered after a detox protocol, or is that part of the detox protocol? In other words, is it prevention of relapse, or is it actually in in part of the process of getting someone off of those uh, addictive drugs? You can do it both ways. Um, although most centers are not going to be set up for this, but I mean, we've you know just in the last month, um, just to give you an example, we don't do a lot of addiction work, but we had a patient um, who was on an addictive substance, and she was using it on a daily basis, and we got her from a moderate dose off within five days. 
no more cravings. Um, saw her a week later. She's doing as well. She came back here. It's been a month now and she's done stupendously well. Um, we've taken people on oxycodone at high, high dosages, like 240 milligrams a day and gotten them off with no withdrawals. So yeah. So used properly, we can do that. We can detox someone pretty rapidly. Um, I don't think anyone could give you a good answer. I think people would be making it up if they said this is exactly how it worked to turn off cravings. I think there's some central molecules that NAD seems to help, whether it's opiates or alcohol. Um, and it takes a couple treatments to turn those cravings off. And so the key is you have to have someone who's first willing and wanting to get off the illicit substance. That is the key. You can't take someone who's like, because I've had this a lot, it comes up. Um, hey, I'm on oxycodone. I'm thinking about cutting back. I think I'll try some NAD. And I'm like, no. Like you, we, if we're going to do this, we're going all the way. We're not just going to do this half-ass. And and so it really matters the intention of people, right? Like, and I think there's a lot of misconception. People look on the internet and say, oh, well, you know, I'll just do some NAD, then I'm good for life. Absolutely not. Like. NAD has to become your new best friend. You know, for people who are truly addicts, they need to surround themselves. And again, the frequency we have to is individualized. We have to figure out, but it's very powerful. You know, we have a lot of patients who we've gotten them off the illicit drug, and then we have to maintain a maintenance course of NAD to help keep their nervous system active. It seems to make all of our neurotransmitters more efficient. Again, the way I think about it, it works on the level of the mitochondria. The highest level of mitochondria per cell line is in the nervous system. So when we're giving those mitochondria more and more energy, we're able to do more, feel better, and be more efficient. Wow. So there must be a direct correlation between metabolic function and addiction, right? Because of the relationship to neurotransmitters. So you're having anxiety, stress, depression, et cetera, which could be, you know, obviously the psychological elements there, but physically is just like a lack of cellular energy, basically, yes. that's manifesting itself in these seemingly psychological uh, issues that necessitate you going and drinking or doing drugs to feel better. So this is really like a root cause approach then because you're addressing the energy needed to regulate your neurotransmitters that regulate your mood. Is that... Yes. Is Absolutely. No, I and mean, you could say the same for attention deficit. I mean, I think it's a spectrum. And so if we go back to, you know, you, you can tie in the emotional experiences. The way I think, I think one of the challenges with addiction is that we we go about addiction, and here's where I think we get it wrong. We say the opposite of addiction is sobriety, where it's really not. If you really look at addicts and really dig in deep, the opposite of addiction is connection, right? They've missed that connective part of meaningful relationships on some level at some part of their development of their nervous system. And so if you go at them and say, okay, we're just going to take away that substance, you're basically take, taking away all of their emotional pleasure and comfort as well. And that's why it doesn't work just to take someone and say, don't drink anymore or don't do this drug because you're going to leave them hanging. You haven't done anything to fulfill that need. For them, it's very significant. And so, um, and, and that doesn't mean we just keep people on alcohol and opiates just because, but we, I think we would do a better job if we help them. And this is why NAD can play a critical role. We help them to rewire their brain, right? And then we use something like ketamine to then help them shape a new neuronal connection, make new meaning for what was missing and the success there. And actually tying in some peptides, we use a peptide Solanc, which helps supply more GABA to their nervous system. You literally can change someone's you know, worldview, not only how they see the world around them, but how they see themselves. They'll want to find more connection in more meaningful, affectionate ways with individuals. 
that's super powerful versus just saying, hey, come off this substance and make behavioral change because that just doesn't work. Yeah, I've experienced that subjectively as someone who was plagued by addiction for the first half of my life. And I'm now thankfully <laughs> always give praise uh, to God for this one because I'm you know coming up on 24 years sober. And um, the interesting thing, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but just in summary, in relation to what you just said, I wholeheartedly agree from my own experience because the the first thing that was necessary was that 100% complete willingness to do whatever I was asked to do, right? In the beginning. In other words, like I was told I needed to get sober my whole life and I was it would just make me do more drugs if you ragged on me about doing drugs, you know, <laughs> that rebellious nature. Uh, and then when I wanted to, that was the first step. And then seeking connection. And I think this is really at the foundation of why 12-step groups are, are widely successful in helping people get sober. Because what do you find there? You find unconditional love and you find people that want nothing from you other than to just create a safe space in a community where you can share openly and honestly about what your experience is and heal together and seek a spiritual way of life. But the fact is that even with that connection and with that willingness um, and, and agreeance with like, yeah, I'm willing to go all out, you still have the underlying issues as you've described that begin to come to the surface after some time, you know, the unhealed sure. truck all of these things. And that's where the real heavy lifting of maintaining long-term sobriety exists is in, you know, having a framework and having support to really unearth that stuff. So I think the work you're doing in that capacity is insanely cool because you're supporting the biology and the nervous system and the neurotransmitters to actually be able to go in and do that work and unearth and heal all of those things that are eventually going to cause someone to feel so uncomfortable in their skin in sobriety, even sometimes with the support of a group, it's too much. And they're just going to go back to the default, which is like numb everything out, the highs and the lows and everything in between and enter back into that life, which they might never be able to escape from. Yeah, no, I think, I think you articulated it really well. And I think another component which you brought up is, is um, for a lot of people have lost that connection with God or the spiritual power and, and reclaiming that because that's such a significant thing for whether it's addiction or really any sort of you know healing process. I think when people get out of touch with that, it becomes so much harder for them to do the heavy lifting because there's not that meaning there. And without that meaning, it, it doesn't matter what you do behaviorally it's going to become chaos again. Yeah, absolutely true. Man, so cool. You've got some really cool things going on there, dude. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Yeah. That we're able to have this conversation and I just love being able to expose people like you and the work that you're doing in the world with vast numbers of people who, you know, I'm guessing many of them have never heard of any of this stuff. Right. Going, wait, what? There's this whole other world of medicine that's emerging um, through pioneers like you that is just has the potential to heal and help so many people that would otherwise be destined to go down the path of just surgery, drugs, you know, whether pharmaceutical or illicit to deal with their problems. There are so many other solutions available to us now. And it's just like the emergence of this new paradigm is so exciting to me. And I've been able to explore and experiment with a lot of it as we've indicated here. And I'm just like, cool, what's next? Let's do this. It's a really exciting time. Uh, to be alive, where consciousness is now, you know, really merging with medicine, and uh, it is 
science as, as Ben Greenfield says, you know, but better living through science and also integrating consciousness work and emotional healing, man, that's, that's the path is the mind, body, spirit approach. No, I totally agree. And I so much appreciate you having me on today. I really thank you. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's combining the conscious changing technology with the cellular technology. I mean, that's where it's at. And it's really like the way we see it. We really want to empower people, help them change their mindset so they understand they can come from a place of abundance where anything is possible where you can have all the tools you want, right? You don't have to have just pharmaceutical surgery, um, that anything is possible. And that when we can help unlock people's potential by just, you know, getting them feeling better and then giving them lots of options for them to feel empowered and, and experiment. A lot of it is experimentation. It just is. And so being open to that is really critical. So I, I thank you for, for having me on and look forward to working with you more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for people listening that are like, wait, I need to do all this stuff, which I'm sure is most of them. Uh, you're in South Carolina and yep. right at the time of this recording, travel is possible, but difficult um, for some people that are nervous. And I don't want to travel just because I don't want to wear a goddamn mask. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it's kind of allowed me to you know just kind of hone in on life here in Los Angeles and get a lot of important and boring things done. But for people that are on the move, like, is it possible for anyone to book your clinic and come see you and explore some of these treatments? And if someone doesn't have the opportunity uh, to travel now, how do you work with people remotely? Yeah, no, we we do both. We have people who um, travel here, you know, before COVID hit. Yeah, I mean, we, we would host people here really every week. Um, and then... Um, that's still happening. That's picking back up a little bit, but we'll we'll work with people remotely, do phone calls, um, you know, whether over the phone or or FaceTime, things like that, Zoom, um, and then we offer a number of you know products that people can try on their own, you know, nasal sprays, rapid dissolve tabs, um, peptides, different things that we want to support people um, because we realize it's not everyone can get here, and we don't feel like everyone fits into the box of the traditional. Um, you know, office visit, going and seeing the doctor, like we're well beyond that. So um, yeah, we just want to support people where they are. And so we'd like to do it both ways for sure. For cool. Sure. Uh, what's your site? Where can people find you and your work? So we're at coniverwellness.com. So it's K-O-N-I-V-E-R wellness.com. And we want to offer your our listeners a discount if they if for anything they want to buy, um, purchase, they can enter in the code um, Luke10 and they'll get 10% off of anything and everything. Oh, um, so thank you. Yeah. Um, but coniverwellness.com. And then on Instagram, we're at coniverwellness. Keep it simple. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for the discount code. So Luke10 for people that want to explore that. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And then lastly, my last question that I hope I've remembered to ask every single guest, might have missed a couple, uh, and that is, you've taught me so much today, and uh, I'm sure the same could be said for our audience. So who have been three teachers or teachings that you've learned from that we might be able to go learn from as well? That's a good question. Um, Let me think for a second. Um, I think uh, nutrition-wise, I'll just break it down. Nutrition-wise, I'm a big uh, fan of Weston Price, the Weston Price Foundation, um, eating traditional foods, getting back to a traditional diet. Um, that's had a big impact on me over time. Um, in terms of just because it's it's impactful for me with, with a lot of patients in terms of hormones, there's the Broda Barnes Foundation, which a lot of people don't know about. Broda Barnes was an endocrinologist. Mm. I think back in the 30s and 40s, 
maybe 40s and 50s. The Broda Barnes Foundation has a lot of interesting tools um, that people can learn from. Third one, um, challenge here. Um, Show when I ask some people, they just like rattle them off, and some is like dun 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 dun. That's how I feel. That, that's how I feel. Um, <laughs> Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't know. Now I'm blanking because you asked me. I'm blanking. Um, I'll think of it. Give me, give me. Um, you know, it, you seem to, as I said earlier, have a, a spiritual inclination, um, mindset mm-hmm. inclination. What's a book or a teacher or teaching that has been instrumental in your perception of the world on that level? It's a good. I'm, I'm reading a book now. Um, it's called The Magic of the Ordinary. And um, it's written by this um, rabbi who kind of, he was a Orthodox rabbi who then kind of went out into nature after kind of uh, different things happened in his life and found uh, a connection to nature and kind of um, relearned how to practice his faith, Judaism, in a way more natural as well as primitive setting than most people have ever heard of in terms of, you know, thinking of going to a synagogue and using the Torah. And he's still very, uh, he presents things in a very, I mean, you'll read like you're reading from like a Native American um, guide. And there's a lot of connection there in terms of ancient Judaism and, and the Native American way. So it's, and, and his whole point is where we find the spectacle of life is in the ordinary, is in the blades of grass, is in the stone you walk by, is in the wind that flows. And when you, you can't get to any higher spiritual place until you recognize that you know, God breathes life into all of that as well. So it's a really interesting, interesting take. It's, it's certainly one of the best books I've ever read. So. Wow. I love that message. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. And I encourage yeah. else to too. I knew you'd have a good one in that category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of that. That sounds amazing though. Yeah, The Magic of the Ordinary. So Great title too, right? Yep. So, you know, as we enter into this life that is increasingly complex and we're trying to find our way, it really is fundamentally in in the present moment and just identifying the simplicity of the now. And it's so much easier to do that when we're uh, in our natural environment. You know, the, the connection, I mean, I have this happen all the time, especially after a couple of pretty profound um, psilocybin experiences in nature that really reminded me of the, the, the um, majesty of creation. And now I find myself as a result of that, just really stopping to pay more attention, you know, to a spider web, just going like, ah, get out of my way, spider web, you know, knocking right. it to the ground. I just stop and look and go, wow, just let's just take a moment of appreciation before I have to move it out of my way. Or maybe I don't, maybe I can go around, you know, it's in the, sure. in those just, you know, micro awarenesses that we're able to have. So that's a really beautiful place to end it. Um, I yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I'm glad we finally thank got it. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Till next time, I bid you farewell. Okay, thank you, Luke. Banging these podcast balls out of the park. What a fantastic guest, man. Dr. Craig Conover, keeping it real out in the field. So stoked to uh, get to pick his brain in front of you all and have you listen. Now, I pick his brain sometimes on the phone as we discussed in that uh, interview But I really got to do a deep dive this time, so I'm stoked. He was so generous with his time and uh, wisdom. And I was really excited to share some of this stuff with you guys because just when I think I've found the next thing, right? You know me, if you listen to the show on a regular basis, 
I'm just that way. I don't know. I'm just wired that way. I used to fight it. I used to try to be normal and just not go next level, you know, and just eat food, drink some water, go organic, live my life. I just can't do it. Honestly, I'm just so curious about uh, what makes the body tick and how to feel as good and vital and vibrant and energetic, yet calm as you possibly can. And so uh, Dr. Craig has just got me on some amazing protocols and I just can't stop. I love it. Can't stop, won't stop. So if you heard this episode and you're like, wow, I want to try some of that stuff. As I said in the intro, I'll remind you again, uh, you can save 10% off over at coniverwellness.com slash shop. Use the code loop 10. Uh, I don't even think I'm an affiliate there. He just offered that code. Um, most of the time when I plug stuff, I do get paid. Don't get me wrong. Um, not much in most cases, but you know, whatever. Uh, I keep everything on the store at lukestory.com slash store. And over there, you know, it helps keep the, the operation going here. But Craig just kind of threw that discount out in the, in the interview. So I was like, cool, great. So coniverwellness.com slash shop. And uh, those products we talked about uh, briefly, sovereignty.co slash Luke. A couple of really cool products over there, Dream and Purpose. These herbal powders with the fermented herbs and CBD and all that. Those things are dope too. He might even have them at coniverwellness.com. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, you know, it's plug time. The end of the show. I wish I could I could do something more interesting, but I'm, I'm hoping that I still have gripped your attention after that fascinating uh, interview. We've got the EMF class at lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. This thing's off the chain, you guys. It's only 149 bucks. I poured my life into this. Two decades of research and experience in EMFs with uh, my friend and colleague, Brian Hoyer, one of the foremost experts on EMF in the world. He's a building biologist, created this course with him. And uh, you're going to learn everything you ever want to know about EMF. lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. But check this out, you guys. You know, everyone's afraid of this virus thing-ish. <laughs> we got the masks. We've got these lockdowns. Government's taking over our goddamn life, turning the world into a facsimile of Nazi Germany, Germany or Maoist China or whatever, man. It's crazy out there. I can't believe people are... Some people are not questioning the narrative and just blindly giving their rights away it's it's madness i it's actually sometimes quite infuriating um but it is what it is you know people watch tv and they believe the tv but not you if you're a listener to this show and you haven't gotten pissed at me and gotten triggered and stopped listening so far when you know my stance on the scamdemic um <laughs> and, it, and if you disagree like i still love you it's all good maybe i'm wrong i don't know maybe this shit's real and we should be afraid of something with a 99% survival rate. I think that's last I checked. Um, you know, there are many other things to be afraid of, such as geoengineering and 5G. Like, if we're going to be afraid of something, let's pick those. How about that? By the way, strange observation here, and then I'll get into next week's episode. This is crazy, though. And I'm not like being Mr. Pro-Trump guy here. I don't know if it's a correlation or causation here. I'll be honest. But ever since that dude got into office, the chemtrailing in Los Angeles has all but stopped. Every once in a while, there's a couple geoengineering planes going by, uh, making fake clouds in the sky. But um, 
it's just really weird. Today, I was walking up the hill with my girlfriend. I was like, God, this is so crazy. It's just been months and months. And especially since the Ma Sharona scandal unrolled, uh, they've really stopped. And I've mentioned that on, on my social media. And some sheeple have been like, that's because no planes are flying because of the lockdown. I'm like, no, there's still lots of planes flying. I'm getting on one in two days. <laughs> planes have always been flying. It doesn't matter. There are planes that create something called contrails and there are planes that create something called chemtrails if you don't believe me um <laughs> do some research man i mean honestly at this point someone the other day on instagram was like or maybe they emailed me i used to like your podcast but i'm not going to listen anymore because you think chemtrails are real and i'm like oh god bless you man good luck good luck out there go plug your face into cnn and have a good life <laughs> like honestly uh, but no, I really mean God bless you because who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe all of the hundreds of scientists that have talked about the the um, existence of geoengineering, even the people doing it, uh, not to mention John Brennan on video when he was head of the CIA admitting we do geoengineering. Just it's for those of you that don't know, it's changing the weather uh, using aerosol sprays of metal particulate, etc. Uh, you'll know them because there's tic-tac-toe patterns all across the sky. And I'm pissed about it. So, uh, whew, what a rant. I had no idea that was going to happen. I don't know what got into me. I think it's all these damn peptides that I'm injecting now, <laughs> thanks to Conifer Wellness. But seriously, no, what I what I meant to get into, really, was uh, next week's episode, Don't Fear the Virus, Your Body's Immunity Blueprint and Humanity's Awakening. A very uplifting and um, informative conversation with the brilliant Dr. Zach Bush. Many people have requested him for the past couple of years, and man, I've been tracking him down. And finally, my friend Josh Trent from Wellness Force Radio, shout out to the homie. He connected me with um, Dr. Bush's people, and we all went down to uh, Josh's place in San Diego and recorded the video and the podcast there with Dr. Bush. We spent about two hours. It is a mega episode, and homeboy just completely dismantles this whole germ theory fear thing that is, you know, got a grip on so many people. And it's, to me, it's so sad because so many people are afraid. I mean, still, I walk around my neighborhood and people cross the street. They got their masks on. It's like 90 degrees and sunny out. A virus can't even freaking live <laughs> in the air when it's that sunny. And as Bush pointed out, there's billions of viruses in the air all the time. I guess they can live in the sun because they're, they, you know, they travel on the on the wind, man, from continent to continent. There's viruses everywhere. They've always been here. They're always going to be here. Oh, God. I don't even know what to do anymore. All I can do is just keep delivering these episodes to you and hope that no one listens to the end of the show when I start to go crazy like this. So if you did, you know, forgive me. Thank you for bearing with me. I do want to thank our sponsors, though. Real talk. Because with no sponsors, we got no podcast. So let's uh, talk about the number one best magnesium supplement on the planet. It's insane. It's called Magnesium Breakthrough. It's got something like seven different types of magnesium, all bioavailable. It's it's incredible, honestly. Like, Especially if you want to talk about EMF. I mean, there are a few supplements you can take that are known to help with EMF, magnesium being one of them, especially a very absorbable form of magnesium. It has to do with the calcium-gated channels. When you're exposed to certain types of EMF, especially high levels, 
It opens up your cells and allows them to be flooded with calcium, which disrupts the balance of your magnesium. So many of us are magnesium deficient, straight up. So if you want to be healthy, you need magnesium, and you can find it at, drumroll please, magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash Luke, magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash Luke. If you want to save 10% off your order, enter the code Luke10. And we've got some medicinal mushrooms. If you want to fortify your gut, do some turkey tail. You want to fortify your brain, do some uh, lion's mane. Want to fortify your energy, do some cordyceps. Want to chill out, do some reishi. Want to boost up your immune system, do some chaga. And you can do that at lifecycle.com. L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. The code there is STORY15 for 15% off. And then finally, Cacao Bliss from our friends over at Mindful Health. Cacao Bliss, oh my God. All right, check it out. I, I've i been into herbs and like superfoods for 20 years, right? And I used to have to buy them all separately and like vet each ingredient to make my smoothies. And it was expensive and it was a huge pain in the ass. Now I just go to earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. That's earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. And I get this Cacao Bliss ceremonial grade cacao something like 10 other herbs all the good stuff all you know clean sourced organic no mold no mycotoxins not radiated passes all of my psycho stringent guidelines for something i'm going to put in my body that's uh earth slash luke story the code there is luke 15 and it gets you 15 percent off get that cacao bliss cacao bliss super super high vibe cacao powder you put it with some cold water hot water you have like this amazing chocolate elixir it's just next level when when i'm i'm kind of on a coffee break as i said well actually i'm drinking decaf coffee and i put the cacao bliss in there about uh, maybe a heaping teaspoon and i have kind of a mocha situation going so that's what's up over here. Thank you uh, so much for joining me. Thank you to Dr. Craig Conover, a brilliant and brave, open-minded doctor who's moving things forward in terms of performance medicine. Super stoked to know this guy. Incredibly stoked to interview him. And trust me when I say he will be back. I'm going to talk to him in like a month and he's going to be on to some new shit and he's going to come back on the show. And we're going to go to the next level, above next level. Actually, we're going to go level above next level then past that level about three other levels so it'll be like next 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 level to the 10th degree thank you so much for joining me on the show if you enjoyed it please share this episode with a friend right now just reach down boink text copy the link text it to a few homies put like five homies or homegirls in the text thread and just be like check out this wacky podcast this wacky dude, Luke's story, and I will love you forever. Thanks. Be back next week with Zach Bush. Hold up. 